I'm in downtown Philly to see a protest and to meet someone. Groups are gathering all around me, all here to protest a visit from Vice President Mike Pence. But the gathering place turns out to be that someone that I wanted to meet, a statue of one Octavius Caddo. He's a tall bronze figure on a small pedestal, raised slightly above the ground. His arms are stretched out behind him. He's leaning forward. Behind the statue, there are all these tall marble tablets around him saying things like activist, athlete. There's a ballot box in front of him. This is the first statue in Philadelphia of a black man on public property. It was put up in 2017 in front of City Hall. There's police, barricades, protesters with megaphones. There are silent women dressed in red cloaks, costumes based on The Handmaid's Tale. I love art, and I want to get a closer look at this new statue. I'm curious why it's the gathering place for these activists. But it's noisy and crowded, and I'm a bit overwhelmed. I tell the statue of Cato I'll get back to him, and I duck into a Starbucks across the street. Can I get a tall... The baristas don't know who Cato was, even though his statue is just down the street. The statue down by City Hall of Octavius Cato. Oh, I don't know anything about that. Oh, I don't know anything about that. You don't know anything about it? Okay. Yeah. Um, the statue on who was that? Is that that big statue of that guy that's going on like yeah. that? Yeah. I don't know who he was either, even though he's right outside my City Hall. Although, I use that my loosely. I'm not exactly from Philadelphia. I live in a rich, white suburb called Wayne. Why is Octavius Caddo here, now, today? And why do I feel like he's speaking to me? I was educated at the Institute for Colored Youth here in Philadelphia. Statues don't talk much, so now I'm standing in front of Caddo at the African American Museum. Really, it's just an actor in a talking portrait. It's cheesy, but it's the closest I can get to him, like I'm having a fuzzy phone conversation with the past. Still, it kind of feels like listening to him and trying to talk to him about his life. Caddo tells me about his childhood that he was born in 1839 to a free black family in South Carolina and moved with his family to Philly when he was 11. Here, further north, there was a free black middle-class population. I was taken on by Professor E.D. Bassett, one of our nation's best-known He tells me about his education, first at segregated primary schools and later at the Institute for Colored Youth, a black university. But when Caddo was 22, the Civil War broke out. With the help of Frederick Douglass and many others, I formed the recruitment committee to raise 11 regiments of colored troops that we equipped, trained, and sent off to war. Caddo seems stately in his three-piece suit. He was also a relentless activist. He was so committed to desegregating public transit that one day he took matters into his own hands. He sat on a trolley car and refused to get off. The conductor stopped the trolley car, abandoned it, and left Caddo there by himself. 
Caddo stayed there all night in protest. And in the morning, a crowd of supporters gathered around the abandoned car. In 1865, soon after this protest, the Union League of Philadelphia passed a bill that prohibited segregation on transportation systems in the city. But politics are my true passion, as through the votes, we can change so much of what is unjust in our society. On October 10th, 1871, Caddo left his house for the polls on election day. We encourage the Pennsylvania legislature to pass the 15th Amendment to the Constitution that gave black men the right to vote. It was just after the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were passed, which abolished slavery, made former slave citizens, and granted black men the right to vote. But Caddo tells me about yet another obstacle he faced. Oh, it's the Irish who will be the most difficult today. Democratic to the core, they are under the control of Mayor Daniel Fox, who has no interest in supporting a peaceful election process. Radical, lower-class white voters, including some Irish, didn't like that. They considered the black vote a threat. It will be a most dangerous time for us, and it is my duty to prepare my brigade in case we are called upon to quell rioting. Walking to the polls, Caddo carried a revolver in his pocket for protection. He walked up the street, dodging white men who would sometimes harass him. But before he could reach the polls, a radical Irishman named Frank Kelly walked up, and point blank, he shot Caddo dead. Caddo had a fiance at the time he was killed. She never remarried. She did carry on his legacy by working to further black education in Philly. Kelly went on the run, but was found and brought back for trial in 1877. He was not convicted for assault or murder. A jury of his peers acquitted him. He got off scot-free. While I'm walking down the street where Kata was shot, a car engine backfires. It's a scary feeling, like I'm hearing the gunshots that killed Octavius Kato. Philadelphia is trying to bring Kato back to life. Would Kato feel like his life's work is reflected in Philly's streets? I wonder, where else is Kato alive today? I'm walking down South 15th Street when Caddo appears again. I look up and there's his face taking shape on a wall, a giant mural. This mural is so massive, they're using a genie lift to install it. Hi, how are you? Hi. <laughs> Seems like Caddo reappeared in a bigger way than I realized. So I'm standing about 15 feet off the ground looking down on you. Keir Johnston is one of the lead muralists on the project. We're in a lift. We're installing. We're on the 1500 block of Catherine in between Broad and 15th Street on the north side of the middle of the block, working on a 70 by 120 foot wall. It's one of the most complex and complicated murals, I would say, in the city at this point. Keir tells me that designing the mural was not the biggest challenge. It was where to put it. That we, were working with, we tried to get this mural off the ground then in his old neighborhood. But his old neighborhood is not a black neighborhood. It's, it's a majority white bourgeoisie neighborhood. Gentrification is changing the makeup of this historically black neighborhood. 
And the whites, let's just say, were not ready. They were trying for years to put up this mural, but it wasn't until the city recognized Caddo in the statue that they got permission. You know, and, you know, there's all the walls that we were talking to, they, we got no, no reception. And so fast forward, uh, sculpture goes in. The statue made Caddo important. It brought him back to life, which was why I found out about him. There was all this new public knowledge of who Cattle was as a figure. He wasn't this obscure guy anymore. Yeah, we were able to get this off the ground. And then, but to me, this mural makes again, his life even more present. I wonder why Cato was the specific face that they chose. When talking about somebody and the struggles that he had to endure in what's called the first civil rights movement, because a lot of of what happened in the civil rights movement was predated by what happened almost verbatim in this era. He's still out here. This man right over here, Eddie, he's been watching the process all along. We crossed the street to Eddie's house, a small row house with an open garage. And I would say at least a third of the days that we've been out here, he's, he's raised his garage, parked himself right here and watched the whole process go down. I ask Eddie what it's like to live right across from a mural, watching it go up for weeks on end, larger than life. Fascinating, fascinating. I've been getting little snapshots of it from the very beginning when they put up the first piece way up there. What was the first piece? When I saw the eye, that was one of the first pieces that went up. When I saw the eye go up, the left eye, I knew it was Cato. I really started studying him when they put the statue down City Hall. You know, and that's when I kind of looked into his history. I asked Eddie how that feels, seeing Philly's first statue of a black man. It's kind of like looking at me. That's the emotion, <laughs> you know. I'd never really considered what it might feel like to live in a city where none of the statues looked like me. I'm biracial, half white, half Indian. And as a white passing person, a lot of art already looks like me. My mother first came here developing. This is we talking about over 30 years ago. And uh, the neighborhood was rough. <laughs> it, it was really, really rough. But uh, over the years, uh, well, of course, you had the gentrification. And uh, it changed quite a bit. But back in those days, it's funny how everything was dirt cheap back then. But I remember those days and the days of the Black Panther Party and Rizzo lining up a bunch of black men along a wall, naked, right? For Eddie, simply living in his neighborhood meant dealing with a legacy of tensions between his community and the police. I came up in that era, so I know it all well, you know, when uh, I knew Rizzo's reputation well back then. Frank Rizzo was the police commissioner in Philly in the late 60s. He later became mayor. He is known to many as a symbol of police brutality. I want to understand Eddie's era better, so I decide to head to the Historical Society. It's pretty still fresh and recent. The African-American community has still faced uh, a lot of impression here in Philadelphia. I'm talking with Kim, a young black historian. I want to know what Eddie's Philly was like back in the 80s. She tells me about a radical civil rights group called MOVE, that was active in the 70s and 80s. Trained and 25 years ago, America's war against black nationalism came to a head. MOVE was an African-American 
uh, civil rights group that was really kind of aggressive in the way that they went about gaining civil rights. The Africans didn't get it by sitting in. They didn't get it by waiting in. They got it through nationalism. They were notorious in their neighborhood for being rowdy activists. Really, they were a community. They were kind of uh, communal. They lived together. Not everyone loved their confrontational tactics. They used a bullhorn to shout at passersby day and night. They disrupted the neighbors. There had definitely been things in their neighborhood where the, their neighbors were kind of complaining about them in regards to noise, things that were kind of taking place. The movement shifted its compound to a residential black neighborhood. Move turned the home into a fortress against the possibility of police shootouts and raids. But when the police got involved, something terrible happened. And so really it was just kind of accumulating, you know, accumulating, accumulated till, bam, the bomb happened. The police dropped a bomb. In 1985, the Philadelphia police responded with a bomb. The blast destroyed 61 homes and left the militant organization shattered. Where many of them died. Like, that the Philadelphia police actually like dropped a bomb onto their home and it didn't just burn down their home, it really kind of burned down the surrounding homes as well. So many people lost their homes as well as many members of MOVE died. 11 people died, including five children. No one was held accountable. I can't help but think of Cato, how the person who killed him got away with it. And this has happened over and over again. It's in the national spotlight, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement. But it still keeps happening. Kim reads me a speech Cato's friend Jacob C. White gave at the Institute for Colored Youth. So this is um, a quote from Jacob C. White, um, who was Cato's best friend. So it says, we here at the ICY, we have been preparing for that day when you are ready to talk about racial equality. We will be ready. I don't think Philly's ready. (laughs) Which makes me wonder, am I ready? I haven't had to face Philly's history of discrimination directly. Maybe that's why I never dug this deep into questions about race before. But now I'm starting to see how race affects life all over the city. Kim thinks Philly's not ready to talk about racial equality. But now that Caddo's statue and mural are here, could that change? Could we look at police brutality and gentrification with more urgency? Speaking of gentrification... I want to go back to the Starbucks, but this time not for a drink. I want to talk to the baristas again. I'm sorry, I don't know quite where we left off. I don't know where I left off either. (laughs) Gentrification has just been a very big problem in our city. I mean, I don't want to say that it's a problem that people want to move here because Philly is a nice place, but it's a problem when it affects poor, like urban black people of color. Like we are greatly affected by the change in demographic. I think about the neighborhood I was just in, about Eddie, about how people are being pushed out. Because I live in the suburbs, I don't see what's happening here every day. And did, did this happen in your neighborhood? Yes, of course. It, you know, it always starts with, um, see, recently my great-grandma died, uh, God rest her soul. So she 
Before she died, every day I would come over, there would be a sell your house now. And she's one of the only people on her block at this point who has not sold her house. I go back to see Cato at City Hall again. On this day, there are no protesters by the statue of the activist. There are homeless people camped around it. What Cato was fighting for is unfinished. Cato wanted people of all races to have equal access to education, housing, and economic opportunity. I stopped to talk to people near the statue of Cato, who otherwise would have just passed by without really seeing him. People really don't pay attention to statues. They too, too much going on in their life. No. Tim's waiting for his wife. And here's my wife. Okay, thank you so much. But I'll she has a different right. idea. Thank you for talking. Do you know anything about the statue? I'm just doing a podcast. Well, I read about it, and um, then I read what they have around here. So I think it's great that they are honoring this man. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, I agree. And your husband was just saying he thinks that not a lot of people really pay attention to statues. And it's well, kind of you know what? Passing here in the morning and the evening, I do see people stop here and there and read and they stand here and take a picture. So they are. Some of them are paying attention because it's the first black statue I've seen. There's still so much I don't know, but I can keep learning. I'm glad that Caddo is in Philadelphia again. And this time, I hope we're ready to listen to what he has to say. On my way out of the city, I pass by the statue of Cato one last time. I tell him we'll talk again soon. This podcast is dedicated to the memory of Willis Nomo Humphrey, co-lead artist on the mural of Cato, remembering a forgotten hero.